Thank you, Jody. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, as Jody mentioned, we're going to talk about somebody whose constant life was a climb or a struggle uh, or a fight. And I was thinking a little bit about uh, fights this morning. Um, and uh, I will tell you, I don't love to uh, fight, physically fight. I can count maybe two times in my life I've ever been in a physical fight, uh, both when I was kids. Uh, unless you count fighting your brother, in which case 25 of those probably at least in my life. Never really been much of a physical fighter. Uh, that said, some of my favorite scenes in the movies are really good fight scenes, right? When I say that, I don't just mean Rocky or, or boxing scenes. I mean scenes where there's a good guy and a bad guy, and they finally have a physical confrontation you've been waiting for. Uh, and I thought if it's all right, I just want to share with you real quickly my four favorite movie scenes of all time. Fight movie scenes, fight movie scenes. Um, before I do, you know what, let's do this. I want to ask you to just turn to the person next to you. Would you share with them one of your all-time favorite fight scenes from a movie? What comes to your mind? Maybe it's somebody you came with. Maybe it's a stranger. Yeah. All right. Some of you, some of you look stumped as if you can't think of one fight scene from a movie. So uh, let me show you mine. Maybe it'll trigger something. My top four, and keep in mind as I say this, these are not exactly my favorite movies of all time. They're just great scenes that I could watch again and again and again, although they are from some pretty epic films. So the first one that I love was monumental for me growing up was from The Empire Strikes Back. It was the showdown between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. And anybody else say that this moment was high on their list? Oh, you, somebody else said this. Okay, good. Uh, this is the fight where he tells Luke, I am your father. Uh, this is more than a fight. It is a twist in the Star Wars saga that sent a huge shockwave through the Galactic Empire, uh, which just shows how nerdy I am that I word it that way. All right, let's, <laughs> let's keep going. Uh, another one that I love is from the Karate Kid, Daniel LaRusso versus Johnny Lawrence. This scene had it all. You guys had an underdog, it had a bad guy, and it had an unforgettable karate pose, right? Uh, this movie came out when I was 12, and uh, like I said, I used to fight a lot with my brother, and whenever it was getting all of hand, out of hand, all it took was one of us like moving into the karate kid pose. And, and even though we didn't know what you're supposed to do out of that pose, like what the move was out of that, didn't matter, because we knew it was about to get ugly and the fight would end. Uh, one of my other all-time favorites is Bob Barker fighting Happy Gilmore. <laughs> now, if you have not seen this movie, I'm not recommending you watch this with your young kids, but watching Bob Barker from Price is Right duke it out with Adam Sandler uh, as they're playing around at golf, you cannot turn away from that moment. And then finally, what I think is maybe the best movie fight of all time, Indiana Jones versus the guy with the big sword. <laughs> Would everyone else agree that that is a classic fight scene? Well, the reason that I bring all of that up is that today as we continue in Genesis, we get to look at a guy whose life has been one constant fight. A lot of it, fight he brought on himself. Some of it, fight that just happened to find him along the way. But today, we get to watch what God does in somebody's life during a fight, through the conflict. Uh, before we look at him, though, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a fight with someone that was so big that after it was over, there was no going back to normal? 
Now, I don't mean fist fights, physical struggles. Uh, what I'm asking is, looking back on tough conversations and harsh confrontations and game-changing, knockdown, drag-out arguments you've had, have you ever had it get so big, things would not be the same again in your relationship? Even as I say that, maybe it's not about the size of the fight, maybe it's about the frequency. Have you ever fought with somebody so much that at some point you were just exasperated and you asked this question, I think we all ask, is this really worth it? And then you decided it wasn't and you started to detach from that person, disengage, pull away. You took a step back so you didn't have to struggle with them anymore. As I ask that about whether there's anyone that you fought with so big that, that you question whether or not it's even worth the relationship, there are some of you who thought of a person right away that you have had a history of conflict with. It seems like no matter what you do, no matter what you say, when one fight ends, it's just a matter of time until another one starts and you end up right back where you were. And then there are others of you who are thinking, I'm in the middle of a struggle with someone like that right now. Or with the holidays, you see a few fights coming up in the next few weeks. <laughs> Well, let me just call it what it is. Say, whether you are in that kind of fight right now or you've been there before, we can all relate. We have all struggled with someone hard enough or long enough that we know what it means to question whether or not it's even worth continuing with them. We know what it means to detach from someone. But before we look at this guy in the Bible, let me ask you one last question. Is it possible that you might have ever done that same thing with God? had so much conflict, so much fight, that at some point you have detached from him, avoided God, so that you don't have to have another struggle with him. Um, I have a long history with God. He's got a longer one with me. And, and, and while it's been full of wonderful moments of love and growth and joy, all right, I've had quite my share of fights with God struggle over what he asks of me, what he wants from me. I don't think I'm exaggerating to say there are times it feels like my relationship with God has been a constant struggle. And uh, there's this part of me that wants to disengage from God, separate myself a little, because I just want to avoid the conflict. But what's worse, there's a thought in me, just a thought, that maybe God wants to separate himself from me because he's sick of the fight too. Like, what if I'm the guy that God sees coming and he thinks, here we go again, had enough of this guy. Now, as I say that, you might hear it and you might go, that's not me. I don't fight with God. I cannot relate to that. So let me have one more try with you. I wonder if the thing that we fight God on the most is him doing what he said he would do for us. We fight God on whether or not he's going to come through on his promises. What I've noticed in my life is when I question whether God is going to come through for me, really come through, when I don't believe it, when I get unsure, I fight him by starting to take lots of things into my own hands. The greatest fight that I have with God is for control. Well, like I said a few moments ago, we're going to look at someone who not only fought every person in his life, but he also fought with God, and all of his fights were about control and forcing God to come through on the things that he promised. Um, if you were here last week, you know we told the story of a man named Abraham that God promised he was going to use to bless the world. He told Abraham, I'm going to give you and your wife so many descendants, I want to build a nation out of you. 
a nation of people that will be my people. And I'm going to do this through your children and your grandchildren. And anyone who blesses your descendants, I will bless. Anybody who curses them, I will curse. And Abraham, I am going to bless the whole world through you and through this people. And that is my promise. And we said last week, at that point in Genesis with Abraham, it is the beginning of this promise of blessing. What you're going to see today is the story of a person who fights to make sure that God gives what he said right there that he would give. The story of a guy who does not trust that God's blessing is going to come through or is going to come to him enough. He will fight to make sure this blessing happens. Now, let me say as we start the story, I wish we had more time in Genesis. We could literally do an entire year of Genesis uh, just going through it a little bit at a time. We're not going to do that. And because we're not going to do that, it means I have to summarize some things for you to get to what we're going to talk about today. So, quick summary. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son, he names him Jacob. And Jacob, Abraham's grandson, is who we're going to spend a little bit of time with this morning. He is the fighter. Now, the stories of Jacob in Genesis are really good, and they read like a soap opera. Every new moment in his life is like an episode in the TV show that is Jacob. And we're going to look at some of them closer today, but we're going to skip through the first few uh, that I feel I need to give you some info on to help you understand where we're going. We're going to go through them very fast. So uh, beginning part really fast, and then we can slow down uh, for the rest. This guy, Jacob, has a brother named Esau. Esau is his older brother. They're twins, I should say that. Actually, Esau came out of the womb first. Like, these two had fights in the womb. The Bible says they struggled in the womb. Uh, since we're going through this part fast, I want to make sure something sinks in with you about Jacob and Esau. Jacob struggles with his brother. Would you say struggle? Now, time passes, and one day when they're older, Jacob is cooking a stew. And his brother Esau comes in from the field. He has been hunting, and the Bible says that he is famished. All right, when the Bible says famished, it's not using that as an expression like we say, I am so starving right now. It actually means he's literally famished. And so he asks Jacob for some of the stew that he has been cooking. And Jacob says in Genesis 25, 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Jacob says, Esau, I will save your life since you're famished, you're about to die, if you give me the blessing that is meant for older children in a family. That's what a birthright is. In their culture, the oldest son got double the inheritance of everybody else in the family, and they became the new leader of the family when the dad would pass away. That, that's what it means by the birthright. And Jacob says, I will trade you your life for your blessing. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me if I'm dead in the grave? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Again, we're trying to get through this part quick, but I want to make sure what you see. Jacob, Jacob is questioning whether God's promise of blessing, remember, a promise of blessing to Abraham, and he's a descendant of Abraham, he's questioning whether this blessing that God has promised their family is going to be enough for him. Somewhere in him, he questions whether God's promises of blessing are going to be enough. And so what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands. He struggles. Again, 
with God this time. I'm going to control God and make sure that I get what God promised, that blessing. And of course, he struggles again with his brother. Um, this time, not physical, but he holds his brother's life in his hands in this moment, and he does something kind of dirty with it, right? Well, a few chapters later, Jacob's dad is getting up there in years, and he is blind. And Jacob knows that his dad may not give him this birthright. It's really not up to his brother. It's his dad's to give away. And so one day, Jacob sneaks in, and he pretends to be his older brother. His dad is, is getting old and he's blind and, and he is fooled and he gives Jacob this blessing, this birthright that really belonged to his brother and the Bible tells us it cannot be taken back. He prays a blessing over Jacob about how he will now be the new leader of the family. He prays it over the wrong brother and it cannot be taken back. Now, real quick, that raises so many questions for us, doesn't it? Why can't it be taken back? I mean, it was received under false pretenses. There's no way that's legally binding. And, and what kind of spiritual world has God created where a simple prayer cannot be undone? Forget legally binding. How could this be spiritually binding? These are questions we ask as we read this story. And, and actually, I want to contradict something I said the first three weeks of this series. These are great questions. Um, if you were here when we talked about the Garden of Eden, creation, Adam and Eve, the flood, the rainbow, you might remember me saying there are all sorts of wrong questions we ask Genesis. Remember that? And I explained that the reason they're wrong questions is because the author of Genesis never intended to answer those questions. This was not written as a textbook. It wasn't meant to give scientific answers for how things happened. And, and so what I said was, when we ask Genesis these questions, they're the wrong questions. And it distracts us from hearing the right lessons that God has for us in this book. Well, here's the problem with what I said. I like questions. We love questions around this church. And I don't ever want you to think that there is such a thing as a bad question. All those wrong questions are good questions. They're even great questions. It's just that Genesis was not meant to answer those questions. And if, if we say, you know what, in order for me to learn from Genesis, I got to get my questions answered first. Well, I hate to break it to you. That's not going to happen. We have to realize this book is not going to answer them. So let me revise what I said the first few weeks. We ask great questions, not wrong questions. They're not bad questions. They're great, but, but we should not expect this book to answer them. That's not why it's here. Why is it here? God gave it to us so we could understand some very important, very critical, right lessons about him and about us. Anyway, Jacob manipulates his dad so that he can get this blessing. Why? Why? Is it that his dad would not have blessed him at all? Think about that. Of course not. Of course his dad's going to bless him. Jacob would have gotten a blessing. He would have gotten an inheritance from his dad. Jacob, as a grandson of Abraham, was a recipient of God's promise that we read about last week. But either that is not enough for Jacob, or he doesn't believe God's going to come through. And he takes matters into his own hands. Okay, we've got another struggle with his brother in this moment. A new struggle with his dad. And again, another fight with God over whether his promise is really going to happen or whether it's going to be enough. The Bible tells us that Esau is so angry, he threatens to kill his brother, so Jacob runs away. More struggle. 
And knowing his brother is trying to kill him, he runs far where he will not be found. And Jacob goes to find work, hopefully meet a woman, settle down, have a family, essentially start over with people who look at him with fresh eyes, people that he's not fighting with. And one day he comes upon this well, and there are some shepherds out who are leading their sheep to drink from the water, and and one of the ones that he sees is a woman named Rachel. She is beautiful, and Jacob falls in love at first sight, and they kiss, and she runs home to tell her dad that she's met the love of her life, the man that she's destined to spend the rest of her days with. Jacob follows behind. Her dad welcomes him, says Jacob can marry his daughter Rachel under one condition, work for me for seven years. Seven years. So Jacob goes to work. And unlike you or me, where we meet somebody and our courtship is movies and dinner dates, uh, Jacob and Rachel's dating experience is him working for her dad, doing grueling, tough, out-in-the-field farm work. He's a ranch hand. And at the end of seven years, Jacob goes to his future father-in-law and says, I have done my time, now let me get married. The dad agrees. They plan a big feast, which is how they did a wedding back then. And at the end of the night, when it comes time to consummate the marriage, um, seal the deal, so to speak, the father sends his daughter into the tent to sleep with Jacob. They make love. They are considered married. That is how a marriage was official back then. What happens in the tent? But the next morning, when Jacob wakes up, He turns his head, and in the bed next to him is not the woman he had worked seven years for. And and I don't mean it's not the woman because she didn't have her makeup on and her hair was a mess and she had morning (laughs) breath. I mean, who didn't wake up to that the morning after their wedding? I'm I'm not saying it's actually the wrong woman. It's not Rachel at all. Andrea gave me that joke, okay, just so you know. I have permission to... It's not the woman he thought he was marrying. It's not Rachel. It's, his, it's her sister, Leah. And in the darkness and in the after effects of a night of partying, her new father-in-law, his new father-in-law deceived him and he married the wrong sister. Okay, show of hands, how many think there might be a fight or a struggle coming after that one? Yes, of course. The fight between Jacob and his father-in-law who just cheated him Kind of like he cheated his brother. What do you know? Karma. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Actually, you know what happened? Jacob's father-in-law did exactly what we're talking about. He took matters into his own hands. I, I don't trust God. I don't trust him. I want my older daughter to be blessed, and I don't trust that God has a great future in store for Leah, so I'm gonna force the issue and make sure that she's blessed by marrying this descendant of Abraham, Jacob, who's supposed to be getting a blessing himself. I will force it to happen because I don't believe God's gonna bless my daughter. The whole reason this happens is because he doesn't trust that God has the best interests of his daughter in mind. So he has gotta step in and control the situation. You ever feel like you've gotta do that? I can't help but wonder if at this point Jacob realizes no matter where you run, sometimes you can't get away from the struggle, right? His father-in-law ultimately agrees to give him Rachel too. He will have two wives as long as he works another seven years. And so he does. He marries Rachel as well, but before long, there's a new problem. Leah is pregnant. She keeps having babies. Rachel doesn't seem to be able to have kids. 
And if there wasn't already tension between the two women over what happened that, where Leah pretended to be her sister, get this, Rachel gets incredibly jealous of her sister since she can't have kids. And now Jacob's two wives are fighting. And this is the kind of struggle that's going to last a while. The Bible tells us that Jacob works for his father-in-law a total of 20 years before he cannot stand the struggle, the fight anymore, and he decides he's going to take his family and his property and leave. He has had enough. This fight was so big, it is not worth it anymore. And so he packs everything up, and he hits the road. And where do you think he goes? He decides to try and go back home. And this is where we see a major turning point in Jacob's life. Now, before we get to it, let me make sure we're all seeing the same thing. Jacob struggles with his brother in the womb when he steals his blessing over stew, when he, when, when he tries to actually lie to his dad. Then he struggles with his dad. Then he's fighting with his wives. Then he's got problem with his father-in-law. Then the wives are fighting with each other. It just keeps going. And every single time, every fight, it's because somebody is really struggling to trust God will come through for them or their kids or whatever. They are struggling to believe the promise of blessing that we just read about last week. Jacob, to this point, has been a magnet for conflict. And now he's going home. He's preparing for what's going to be one more fight. He is on his way home 20 years after he ran away hiding because he stole his brother's blessing. He knows he's going to see his brother for the first time since he ran away. And things could get messy. So Jacob comes up with this crazy plan to split his family in two and his property as well so that if Esau hears that he's coming and decides to come and attack him, he will only be able to kill half the people and destroy half the stuff so the rest can get away. It's clear Jacob is getting ready for a fight. He's on his way to what looks like it's going to be a knockdown, drag out showdown. And, and the night before, he's going to see his brother. Look at Genesis 32, 22 to see what happens. It says, that night... Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. Now, this is where things get a little bit weird. Let's read verse 24. It says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, we're going to read more than that, but we got to stop there. How crazy is this? Jacob sends his family across the river. He's alone. A guy comes up to him. Obviously, something happens between the two of them. Some words are exchanged, maybe. And they begin wrestling? I'm not sure how this works. I looked around. I don't think there's any ancient custom where you just go up and start wrestling strangers for fun in the Bible. This is not normal. But Jacob, this guy who's been fighting people his whole life on the way to what's going to be the main bout, gets into yet another fight. And what Jacob realizes later is that this is not just another fight. This is the real main bout. Right now, he's fighting with God. If all of those other fights kind of had God in the background as the real struggle, this time God is at the forefront. We are going to fight this out. And we learned that this man is wrestling Jacob. It is an angel, is a messenger from God. Now look at what happens, verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. 
The person that Jacob is fighting with this time has the power to simply touch his hip and cause it to be dislocated. Now, Genesis tells us that Jacob is actually winning the fight as they've been wrestling all night long. In verse 26, we read, Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, read this with me, would you? I will not let you go unless you bless me. And this is important. You don't want to miss this. Not only is Jacob fighting God, but just like he did to his brother years earlier when he made him give up his birthright, his blessing, and then he did it to his dad when he made him give up a blessing, Jacob says to this stranger who has dislocated his hip, I will fight you until I get a blessing from you. And what we begin to realize is that as much as Jacob has fought with his parents and fought with his wife and he's fought with himself, the person he's been fighting all along, has been the God of the universe. His whole life, he's been saying, my way, God, not your way. And he'll even fight God for something that God must have surely already wanted to give him, a blessing. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to me, the way that we fight God. It seems like all he really wants to do is love us and protect us and lead us and, and bless us. He wants to bless us, but our trust that he'll keep his promises can be so lacking that we get ahead of him, that we jump out in front of what he is going to do. We take matters into our own hands and we say, God, you're gonna bless me whether you want to or not. Some of us date somebody we know would probably not be God's blessing on our lives because we wanna make sure we get blessed with a marriage. Some of us take jobs we probably shouldn't take, we know wouldn't be the right job. We work with people we don't wanna work with because we wanna make sure we're gonna have financial blessing. Some of us make choices that we think are going to result in blessing, thinking God is not gonna come through. And I wonder if in the middle of those times, what we're really saying is, God, I fight you in this moment. I don't believe, even if you do bless me, it's going to be enough. It's never gonna be enough. Jacob has done a lot of shady things. In, in, in almost every one of these stories we read, Jacob is the bad guy. But here's what you gotta know. Even as he fights God, all along he's been fighting God, God never turns his back on this bad guy. As bad as Jacob has been, and you could make the case that he's had to choose between two bad things as we saw in that video. As many people that Jacob has lied to and struggled with, God has always been there for him anyway and believed in Jacob. And now, now he's not hiding from God in a fight with someone in his family. Now he's duking it out with God. Okay, can I, can I just say, some of us think this would be the point that God would finally give up on Jacob. This has got to be the moment that God walks away and says, no more. You have been fighting your whole life. I am done with you, Jacob. You are on your own. I've had your back all these years, Jacob, and now you're even turning on me? But look at what God does in verse 27. It says, the man asked him, what is your name? Now, that's a really interesting thing right there. In the middle of this fight, they're wrestling. This man, who we know is an angel from God, stops and asks Jacob who he is. All right, here's another great question. Is it that God didn't know who he was wrestling? Of course not. This is God. He's been there for every single one of Jacob's fights. Front row seats. He asks Jacob, what is your name? Because in their culture, there was more to a name than just a name. It was an identity. 
And when God asks, what is your name? He wants Jacob to come face to face with who he is and who he has been all of these years. And Jacob has to confess, I am Jacob. Can I tell you what Jacob meant? This identity? The word Jacob means the circumventer. The one who takes the place of somebody else. The one who says, I don't like this plan. I got a better plan. I got my own plan. I'm going to circumvent God's plan for my own. The one who deceives even to get his own way. And that has been true about him all of his life. They are wrestling for a blessing. And what is it that God asks him to do first before he'll give a blessing? Before he blesses him, he asks Jacob, admit who you are. Admit that you have a problem, Jacob. Take a look in the mirror and confess who you are. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then verse 28, the man said this. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob spent his whole life fighting, deceiving, but once he confesses who he is, God says, now we're talking. Now I can transform you into the person that you have been wanting to be. And he names him Israel, the one who has overcome struggle. Here's a right lesson. God's blessing comes after a confession, even in the middle of a fight. I think there's something very important that you and I need to learn here in Genesis. God is not afraid or offended or resistant to our struggles. Unlike you and me, there is no fight so big God's going to write you off. There is no limit to the struggling where he says, I've had enough of you, and then he decides he needs to detach so that he doesn't have to fight you anymore. God will let you fight him again and again and again until you overcome and it changes your identity. You know, I, I think some of us who fight God, we fight him, uh, try to keep him at a distance that's safe from us, and, and we fight God because we want control. We, we don't want to give up the control, and, and we fight God because we've been fighting people our whole lives. All we've ever known is the fight. And the God of the universe says, one of these days, you're going to realize your fighting me will not cause me to turn my back on you. I will not walk away. No matter how much you fight, I will be by your side. But I also need you to know that my blessing comes, my blessing begins with you acknowledging who you are. You have got to be willing to say your name. I mean, look at who you really are through your struggle. And if you'll say who you are, then I will bless you with a transformed life. The lesson from Jacob is that God's blessing, that we are all trying so hard to get. Everybody wants to live blessed lives. His blessing comes after we confess who we are and we wrestle and we struggle with God. See, in the struggle with him, he transforms you into someone more like Jesus. Jacob ends up meeting his brother, and guess what? Um, this time, there is no struggle. First time in his life, there's no struggle. This time, there's forgiveness. It's as if because he could admit who he is, who he was, some of the struggles with the people in his life finally calmed down. Although I will tell you, Jacob, now Israel, still struggles with God. Once wasn't enough, 
He keeps on struggling with God. And in fact, his kids become known as the people of Israel, the Israelites. And the entire Old Testament is the story of their continuing struggle. Ups, downs, walking with God, turning their back on God. The rest of the Old Testament is the story of Jacob's descendants in one huge fight with God while they wait for a blessing that will change their identity. And it happens. Their struggle all culminates in the ultimate blessing, Jesus. The deceiver becomes a struggler, and then the struggling ones get saved. All right, what does this mean for you today? Well, I wonder if you, like me, you are eager to have God's blessing on your life. What I mean by that is you're eager for things to work out to your advantage. And, and, and I wonder if, like me, there are times you are so eager that maybe you fight for God to do it your way with your timing exactly how you think it ought to be done. And the good news is, if you're fighting God, he's always up for a good wrestling match. He will not walk away from you. He'll engage. But for there to be blessing on the other side of that fight, I think you're going to have to do a few things. Admit who you are. Admit you have a problem. I think you're going to have to identify the ways that you've been fighting God to get a blessing. Identify how you've been trying to control things. Identify where you haven't trusted him enough to get what you want when you want it, the ways you've been pushing for that. And then most of all, recognize that God is with you and his promises come through. You don't have to fight him. You do not have to earn his blessing on you. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, I think some of us this morning are just wired in such a way that when things don't happen quick enough for us, or when we get nervous about whether things are going to come crashing down, we take things into our own hands. And God, we know you've told us that, that, that you want to give us life and life to the fullest and that you're watching out for us and that you'll protect us. And that, but we've seen so many stories of things going wrong. And God, I just, I know so many of us try to control your blessing, force you into a blessing as if, as if you don't want to give it. And God, I know that comes, what comes with that is often trouble, choosing between bad things, and I just ask this morning that you would help us know, help us rest in the fact that your promises come through. You do not promise a blessing and then turn your back. And so God, I ask, especially as we go into this holiday season, that we would see you bringing blessing into our lives, into our jobs, into our relationships, into our families. God, that we would experience your blessing in your time, in your way, and that even when we fight you, we would see you transforming us. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.
one other thing, if you can still hear me. Uh, we would love to meet you if we haven't yet out at the Connection Corner. Uh, Jody and I and, and maybe Mike will all be out there. So thanks.